Good morning. Welcome to Fellowship of Huntsville. If you are visiting with us this morning, we'd love to hear from you. There should be a, a card called the Connection Card that's underneath the seat in front of you. Just fill that out and give us a little information about yourself, and we'd love to get in touch with you and we'll let you know about the ministries going on here at the church or how to join or whatever that may be. Also, if you have prayer requests or anything you want to mention or whatever, also use this card. You can drop it in the box in the back, or you can use the QR code and uh, send it in electronically if you know how to do that. Um, we are going to be looking or back at uh, Colossians chapter 4. So we're back to Colossians, and CF's going to be teaching uh, verses 5 and 6 of Colossians chapter 4. So I'm going to read that. It says, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are, and I thank you for your word. I pray for CF in his time speaking this morning, that it may be your words that he speaks. And Lord, I pray that we will respond, that we will find opportunities to engage others around us and just be an encouragement to them and a light to this world. And we say this in your name. Amen. We're now going to dismiss the kids ages three through fourth grade. They're going to go out to the hallway over here in the classrooms. If you need to know where to pick them up, you're welcome to join them in uh, dropping them off. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. The microphone is on already. Good to have you here, and I'm glad you're a part of the service. The passage that David read there in the book of Colossians, we're going to go back to the book of Colossians today, and uh, we're getting close to completing this book. We're coming down to home stretch, if you will, because he's going to begin in verse 7 and through the end of the book doing greetings to different people in the church and final words of departure which is all going to be good. I mean, it's good stuff. We learned some good principles from it. But today we're looking at specific instructions that he's given. And a specific instruction in verses 5 and 6 is walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Let's pray. Father, we come before your throne, thanking you, Lord, for this day, praying for this time of study, that you would open the scriptures up to us, that you would direct me in my instruction, keep me from error, help me to explain it clearly and accurately and, and in line with integrity as you present it, and then, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would take and make personal application into the lives of the people here, that they might go forth and live your word in obedience. And so, Lord, I ask this and I pray this of you in Christ Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. We uh, begin this little section here. It comes on the heels of what we just studied where we talked about prayer. Now, the last two weeks we've been away talking about elders, but we're back now uh, in this context where he talked about prayer, uh, how important prayer was and how prayer is to be done. Then he talks about practical living, how you should live. And he begins here, he says, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. He uses the word walk. And that word is a very common word used all throughout the New Testament. You'll see it everywhere you go. 
It's a compound word. It literally means to tread around or to get around. A more specific way would be to order one's behavior, to order one's behavior. Or what is your lifestyle like? Your lifestyle is your walk, okay? It is how you execute daily living. And the question behind that is, where do we do our walk? Well, your walk is every aspect of your life. There's never to be a time nor a place, and we're going to see that in just a second, where you don't walk in wisdom. There is no vacation in the Christian life. You live the Christian life 24 hours a day. And, and so Paul used this word earlier in the book of Colossians, if you turn to chapter 1, and uh, if you will look with me at verse 9, Colossians 1, 9, he actually uses it in verse 10, but he says this, he says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and I ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may have a walk worthy, there it is right there, a walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And if you'll remember back, when we talked about that word to walk worthy, what does it mean to have a worthy walk? It's not a walk to be made worthy. It is a walk that is worthy of God. The word worthy was a very common word used in their day and time, which meant to balance something out. And it was very much akin to the use of a balance beam for weighing items. You know, this is back in that day and time, if you wanted to weigh out something, you put a known quantity on one side of a balance beam. A balance beam, or what people call a scale, would have a set of arms with little baskets on there. And on one side, you put a known quantity, for example, a pound. And you went to the marketplace and you wanted a pound of uh, figs, they would put figs in on the other side of the basket un until the figs matched up with the weight on the other side. And there's a little needle and it would show right dead center. And they'd say, those figs are worthy for one pound of weight, meaning that equal one pound of weight. So in this passage of scripture, when he says, have a walk worthy of the Lord, the known quantity on the scale is the Lord. So we put the Lord on one side and then we put our lifestyle on the other side. And the question is, does your lifestyle measure up to the Lord? Not perfection, but according to the standard that the Lord has set for you. Do you measure up to that standard in life? That's what he means to have a walk worthy. But the concept or the idea behind walk is living your life. How do I live a life for Christ? You, you live a life for Christ, he says, by walking in wisdom. All right? Now, wisdom is the word Sophia. Not Sophia Pope, but Sophia. That's her, that's her name in Greek is wisdom. That's her name. But to have wisdom means <clears throat> a mental excellence of the highest and fullest sense. The ability to judge correctly. 
and to follow the best course of action. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is mental excellence of the highest and fullest sense, the ability to judge correctly and to follow the best course of action. Wisdom is a word that is used a lot in Scripture. Wisdom literally means to live out the Word of God. See, when we decide to live our life, we live according to what we think is right, or we can live according to what culture thinks is right, or we can live according to what other people may think is right. But what God instructs us to do is to live in accordance to what the Word says is right. See, God gives us a standard. He sets that standard for us. And we are to walk in wisdom. If you were to go and do a study of the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, probably one of the best books in the Scripture to give you a clear insight of what wisdom is. Because what the writer, primarily Solomon, does in the book of Proverbs is he contrasts the way of the wise man with the man of folly, or what is more specifically referred to in the book of Proverbs as the fool. Now, we think many times of a wise person as being a smart person, and we think of a fool as being dumb. But the way the Bible uses those words is completely different from that. A wise person is a person that lives their life in accordance to what the Scripture says, a fool is one, or a person of folly is a person that lives their life according to human standards or what is popular in that day and time, okay? So we're always faced in life where we can live by wisdom or we can live as a fool. The Bible also says in Psalm 14, verse 1, it says, The fool has said in his heart there is no God. So it tells you right up front that a person that denies God is a fool. Does not mean they're stupid. It just means that they're a fool. So a fool is someone that lives their life apart from God. The error is this, that every time you see fool used in a Bible, it's not referring to someone that doesn't believe in God. Fool can also refer to someone that believes in God but lives according to a standard that is not from God. You follow that? So when Solomon contrasts the wise liver, let me change that, the wise living person and the foolish living person, what he is contrasting is the, the wise living person is the person that lives or orders their life in accordance to Scripture. The foolish person goes by feeling, emotion, popular thought, human philosophy, anything like that. So I can be a fool. I can be a fool anytime I make decisions independent of the Word of God. Quite often growing up, I, I would do something, my dad would sit me down and counsel me, and the phrase that he often used, he would say, that was a foolish decision that you made. And what he meant was, it was a decision made apart from what he had told me to do or apart from what the Scripture said do. And so we can be fools at any given time. And wisdom and living by wisdom means that we order our life in line with the Word of God. 
We live our life according to a different standard. And what is that standard? Well, it's what you've heard all the time. When you come to faith in Christ, you have a position with Christ. You're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That is your justification. You're in a secure relationship. Your sanctification is living out your life day by day. And how do you live out your life by, day by day? In accordance to what the scripture says. In accordance to what the Bible tells you to do. Okay? So you want your condition to mirror your position. But quite often, our condition doesn't mirror our position. We do not live a life worthy of Christ. We live a life in accordance with what we think is right. The key to understanding that is that it is not the situations in life, the circumstances in life, or the people in life that are the source of our problem. The source of our problem is ourself. Because I'm going to tell you what the Bible does. The Bible gives you guidelines on how to live in good situations and how to live in bad situations. You follow that? That the problem in life is not the situation you're in. The problem in life is how you approach or deal with the situation. Quite often we'll say, well, I'm stressed out because of this. That is a personal problem. It's because you have not or I have not applied the word of God on how to live. You're to live your every day of your life stress-free. You say, well, how do you live stress-free? You live for the Lord and not for yourself. You live not as a man pleaser, but as seeking to please God. You live your life on a completely different agenda. And we often will say, well, you made me mad. People cannot make you mad. That is a choice you make. You make a choice to be angry. You make a choice to be stressed. You make a choice to worry. All these things are choices that we make. Because Paul said, I know how to be full. I know how to be hungry. I can be in distress. I can be in good times. In whatever state I am, I've come to find out. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, I can face anything in life, no matter what that thing in life may be, if I get my mind thinking right and I walk in accordance to wisdom. When it comes to relationships, uh, let's take marital relationships. Quite often, husbands and wives can get at odds with each other. And the tendency is to say, well, you did this and it made me angry. You did this and I felt unfulfilled. Or you did this and I was upset. That is projecting my problems in life onto that other person. Yes, that other person may have treated me rude. That other person or that person in a relationship may have been ugly. That person in that relationship may have been, you know, uh, unwilling to change or whatever. But my response to it can always be in accordance to wisdom. Okay? As I tell people quite often, if you want to see your biggest problem in life, They'll come in and say, man, I don't understand what's the issue here. What, what do you think is the problem? I say, well, tell me what's going on. They tell me what's going on. You know, 100% of the time that I found out is a mirror. A mirror will reveal what the problem is. I say, look in a mirror and you'll see what the problem is. The problem is you, how to handle it. Now, 
Let's settle that side first. Once we settle that, then we'll, I'll show you how we approach this other person. What do we do with them? Because, see, their problem is they're living according to their own standard. And that's what happens in marital relationships. I want my way. My wife wants her way. And it's just who can get the loudest is going to win the way. That's not how it's supposed to be done. It's supposed to be done in accordance to wisdom. Walk in wisdom is what he tells us to do. And so the, the immediate context that he's given us here where he says walk in wisdom, he says towards those who are outside. That word outside literally means out the door. Those that are out the door. So what does that mean? Well, it means this. He's addressing this to the church at Colossae. So he's writing this letter to believers. Believers are those that were in that world in Colossae, but have been called out of that world and called under to Christ. And so those that are outside would refer to those that are not a part of the body of Christ. That makes sense to you? He's talking about unbelievers in this situation. Now, why would that be important in, in, in this church's dealings? Well, it's important for this reason. If you remember when we first started this study, Colossae is located in what is today modern-day Turkey. Okay? Paul founded those churches up in that area. And on that west coast of Turkey is the city of Ephesus. And about 100 miles inland, 70 to 100 miles inland, is the city of Colossae. Both of those cities were planted in what was a heavy Greek culture. Very heavy Greek culture. Because when Alexander the Great conquered that known region up there, he made every city he conquered a Greek city-state. And if you study Alexander the Great, when he started his mission, he just went straight down that coastline all the way down, and every city there, he would convert them into a Greek city. Then years later, what happened to the Greeks? The Romans came in, and the Romans took over the Greek Empire. And Romans were more concerned with commerce and financial things. So what the Romans did was they built roads. And they left a lot of Greek culture in place. They didn't care. They just adopted to it or adapted to it. Didn't matter to them. So those regions were inundated with Greek thought. And Colossae was parked right in the big middle of it. So when Paul founded the church at Colossae, he took people right out of that community, put them in this church body, they were converted, but all their friends were outside. They lived according to what the Greeks thought was right. And what was the main thought of Greeks? What was their view of Jesus Christ and things such as that? Well, if you studied mythology, you know where it is. Greek mythology. They had mythological gods. They literally had a god for everything in life. And if there was a problem with that area of your life, you had done something to anger that God. And they had stories of these mythological gods, books. You can read them. And they talked about all these gods. Some of the more famous would be like Zeus and some of these. And you've probably heard those stories. But that's the culture these people came out of. In addition to that, Greek culture was very, filled, very much filled with debauchery and just 
evilness. There was nothing to promote morality for those people. The, uh, sexual relationships were very open. Drunkenness was very common. Uh, all what we'd consider the, the unredeemed evil type of living, that's what they lived in. Well, the problem with that is when those people are brought out of that, when they, they come in for a little Bible study at the church and they go home, what are they surrounded with? They're surrounded with people that live a completely different life. And so Paul's telling them, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. Don't adapt to what they're doing. Don't give in to what they're doing. But there's a way that you need to live in order to be successful. That's what he's telling them. Folks, the application's the same for us. What's our culture like? Our culture is rapidly eroding, and things that would never be accepted 30 years ago are seen as commonplace. And you've seen a rapid ascent of it in the last, what, five to 10 years. Some of the crazy, ungodly philosophies of the world uh, that are just bombarding us, you're seeing it invading all, every aspect of your culture around you. How do you, how do you live in that? He tells you right here, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. He uses a very critical phrase here. He says, redeeming the time. Now let's deal with time first. What is time? The word here used for time is the word kairos. Kairos. Now there's another word that's used or translated time in scripture and that would be the word chronos. Chronos speaks of a specific point in time. For example, we're going to go have lunch at 12.30 today. Would you like to join us? That would be chronos, okay? That was, that's how you would define that. Kairos would be defined as a period of time. For like, this is the best time to be living. That would be the word kairos, okay? When Paul uses the word kairos here, what he is saying is redeem the time that you have. And he's talking about this. From the time you're born again until God calls you home. He's talking about the time or the kairos of your spiritual life. Your walk with God. Your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about maximizing every opportunity in life for the kingdom of God. Because he uses the word redeeming. Okay, he says redeeming the time. Now the word redeeming comes from the root word agorazo, which means to buy back. That's what the word means. Agorazo was a word used at the marketplace when someone went down there, and let's go back to the figs, they want to buy figs, they would give that owner of the figs money and they would redeem those figs back to themselves. They were buying them back. It was also a word used for buying a slave that was in a slave market. And quite often Paul uses that variance of it or uses that context. And what he's saying is this, you and I were slaves to sin, but we were redeemed. You were in bondage to sin. He uses those terms, bondage, slavery, a prisoner, all these kind of things. What's he talking about? I was born in sin, I was in bondage to sin, and one day, I was bought out of sin. I was redeemed. My life was bought. Well, who bought my life? 
Jesus Christ bought my life. Jesus Christ redeemed me out of that slave market of sin. Well, how did Jesus redeem me? Well, Peter tells you, you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It was the death of Jesus Christ that bought me out of that slave market. When I trusted in Christ, I was bought out of that. Now I belong to him. That is the root of this word. So when he says redeeming the time, what he means is your time in life, buy it back for the kingdom of God. Use every opportunity in life to promote the kingdom of God. Use everything that you do in life to reflect God to the people that are around you. That means in your job, in your school, when you go to the store, everywhere you go, whatever you do, you're to be maximizing that opportunity to represent the kingdom of God. That's what he means when he says redeeming the time. Take the time that is before you and keep at the forefront of your mind, I'm living this life for Christ. What's our broader context of this verse? Go back to chapter 3, verse 1. There's your broad context. Broad context says, verse 1, Colossians 3, 1. Since you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So what's he telling us in this passage? He says, number one, you were raised with Christ. Remember, position. What am I to do? You're to seek those things which are above. In other words, you don't seek your agenda, you seek God's agenda. You seek those things which are above. Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Okay, so I'm to seek those things. Second of all, I'm to set my mind on those things. That's what he says in verse 2. Set your mind on those things above, not on things on the earth. Why? Well, you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. In other words, what he's saying is redeem the time for God because every minute you live here, you're to be living for the kingdom of God. You're to represent his home. You're to represent his place. Not your agenda, not your plans, that kind of stuff. But his plan, his purposes, his plan for your life. So look at your verse. Walk in wisdom. That means by applying the word of God towards those who are outside. Redeeming the time, utilizing every opportunity to demonstrate this wisdom. Look over at 1 Peter. I want you to turn to 1 Peter 3. And there's a passage of scripture there that falls very much in, in line with this passage right here. Go to 1 Peter 3, and I want you to look at, uh, let me find my verse 
He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to your former lust, as in your ignorance, in other words, like when you were lost, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Look at chapter 3 of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, and look at verse 13. It says, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sakes, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. But what he says, set apart, sanctify the Lord God in your heart, set apart your life for God, redeem the time. Redeem the time for the kingdom of God. Why? It is a powerful witness in the world that we live in. Folks, when you look at the chaos that's in the world around us, you could draw a real quick conclusion. You're living around a lot of people who don't have hope. You're living around a lot of Christians that forget they have hope. Because they're living according to what they see and not the reality of Scripture. Live your life with hope because of what you have. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you. What does that tell you? That when you're living your life while other people are falling apart, you're soaring above them. And they're going to say, man, how do you deal with this boss that we have? How do you deal with the schedules that we have to meet? How are you able to live your life with all this stuff that's going on around us? Because, see, the problem in life is not what's going on around us. It's what am I focused on in my life as far as how I'm going to respond to it. That's the real key. It is what is your mind centered on. So back to Colossians. He says, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. Now, the word grace there is charis, and it means unmerited favor. That's the most common uh, definition of grace, unmerited favor. But to live with grace means that you deal with other people not the way they deserve to be deal, dealt with, but you deal with them according to what the Word of God says you deal with them. Because, see, the world philosophy says this, that person did something ugly to you. Well, I don't get mad, I get even. That's not grace. I, you know, I hope you knew that, but that's not grace. <laughs> Living with grace is, they did something evil to me, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak back in a kind way. I'm not gonna let things get to me. I'm not gonna let them, as a popular word, they trigger me. They're not gonna get me triggered, not gonna do it. And there are a lot of people that live their life for the sole purpose to upset other people. They get some kind of weird joy out of that, but they really do it. 
And so the idea that you got to have when he talks about living your life with grace, it means just like God showed unmerited favor towards me by redeeming me in Christ. I didn't deserve it. I didn't do anything to merit it. There was no action in my life that would cause God to favor me and to grant me salvation. He did it through grace. For by grace have you been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It's the unmerited favor of God. So by taking that definition, what that means is you treat and respond to other people in a way they don't deserve to be treated. That's what he's saying right there, okay? That's what it means to do it with grace. And But he says seasoned with salt. Now what does that mean? Seasoned with salt. Do you carry a salt shaker? Around or what's this idea of salt here? Salt is distinct and it's also a preservative. Salt is something special. You know, Jesus spoke about this. He said, Live your light, live your life, and let your light shine and be salt in the world that you live in. Well, what's he saying there? Light means you're showing people the truth of God, the revelation of God. Let your light shine. What is your light? Your character because of your relationship with Christ. What is salt? Salt is distinction, difference. You're not contributing to the corruption of the world around you. You're trying to make a difference. Salt could also be when you deal with people in grace, you deal with them with seasoned with salt, what that means is you deal with them in accordance to the word because the word is distinct and different than what the world is. Okay? That's the idea behind salt. It's just backing up the idea that you deal with them in grace, seasoned with salt. In other words, you have the distinction of specific guidance from God. And then he says, here's a purpose clause that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Now that refers back to what? Walking in wisdom. Why do you walk in wisdom? You walk in wisdom that you may know how you ought to answer each one. See, it comes at the end. He's real descriptive in between. He says, walk with wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be seasoned with grace or, or be with grace seasoned with salt. That, that's your purpose clause, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So the way you know how to answer each one is because you walk in wisdom. You walk in line with the word of God and you deal with people in a gracious, humble, courteous manner. That's how you do. Look over at Matthew 10. I want to show you a passage over there. It's very similar to this. Matthew, the 10th chapter. And let me see where we're going to begin. Go to Matthew 10, look at verse 16. Matthew 10 and 16. Our real key verse is going to be verse 19, but we've got to get the context. Look at verse 16. Behold, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And what would that be? Harmless as doves, deal with people in grace, wise as a serpent, seasoned with salt, use the wisdom of God's word to know how to discern between the two. But beware of men, 
For they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought in before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. So he tells those disciples that when you face great difficulty, trials and stuff like that, you just walk with me and my spirit will give you the guidance on what to speak. Go back and look at your passage in Colossians. Tell me if you don't see a parallel between these passages, between these teachings here. Because, you know, it's kind of like there's nothing in the Bible. There's no major topic in the Bible that's not addressed in the book of Genesis. And there's nothing really addressed in epistles that Jesus didn't talk about. The epistles are an explanation of the guidance that Jesus Christ gave us. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. See, how you ought to answer each one, if you're walking in wisdom and in obedience to God, you're dealing with people in grace, humility, you're acting in accordance to the Word of God, seasoned with salt, then God will come alongside and he will give you the answer that you need to have for that given situation. What you need to be focused on and what I need to be focused on is walking in wisdom. Order your life in accordance to the word of God. And when you're confronted with stuff, you keep depending on the word of God and God will provide you the answer that you need in that given situation. That's what he's saying. Now, what would that be counter to? That would be counter to the culture that they live in. Because he says, walk with the wisdom towards those who are outside. Don't adapt or bring into your life the ways of the world and expect God to give you the answer that you need in your time of need. Don't walk your, and live your life contrasting with the word of God. And then when trouble comes, expect God to give you what you need to be bailed out of that. You know what that's called? Suffering the consequences of bad decisions. Have you ever heard that before? When I was growing up, my dad would tell me, he said, son, that decision that you made was foolish. And what he meant was I'd contradicted what he had given me as guidance. You know, I think a lot of times God looks at us and he's like, you're being a fool. You're being a fool. Because let me tell you something about this. Where it says... Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. Mark this one down on your Bible. That's present tense. That means it's to be done all the time. And it's in the imperative mood. It means it's a commandment. So what you have here in verses 5 and 6 is a commandment that's to be present in your life that is to never cease. So you read like this. You should walk in wisdom in every area of your life, all the time, towards those who are outside, using every opportunity that is presented to you to represent God's kingdom. And you should do it with a humble sense of communication, guided by the word of God. And when you do that, you're going to know what you ought to answer each one of them. That would be what you call an expanded translation of that passage. 
You live in obedience to God's word and he will guide you through the circumstances of life. You live in disobedience, walk as a fool. What do you do? Suffer the consequences of foolish decisions. That's why if you can't find the answer to that given situation, ask a godly person. Seek wise counsel. The Bible allows that. The Bible allows that. Seek the wise counsel of other people. It's kind of like when I was in the world and lost, people would get in trouble in their marriage and they wouldn't work their problems out. You know where they'd go? They'd go to the bar and they'd talk to other people that were divorced. Yeah, that was where they got their wisdom from. Well, let's flip it over. In the redeemed world, what should I do? I should seek what the Word of God says and then I should seek out people that walk in wisdom in their life and get guidance from them. That's how it's to be done. And if you walk in wisdom, he promises you that you're going to know what you ought to answer each person, no matter what the situation is. That's one of the advantages of walking in wisdom. You can address every situation in life and you live a life that other people look at and say, how do you live like that? Man, you're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this. But you still love the Lord. You're you're happy. What's going on here? You're at work. You've got a deadline comes up. The boss is, one, is a tyrant leader. He's difficult to deal with. And yet you're in peace and you're functioning fine. And people say, I don't know how you can deal with it. I don't know how you can put up with this. Oh, well, let me tell you. That's, see, that's your opportunity. I'm going to redeem it. That opportunity's popped up. I'm going to redeem it. Let me share with you how you can do that. And people will honestly open doors up for you to minister in their life. If you walk in wisdom and are redeeming the time, seizing that opportunity, you'll know when to jump in there. Versus when they're talking about going to good time karaoke and tying one on to deal with the stress, that is not the time walking. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me show you this track. They're not going to listen to that, folks. That's not, that's not the opportune time. The opportune time is when they see you living it, they see you embodying it, and they say, how do you do this? Okay, I'm fixing to buy some time right here, brother. I'm going to seize this opportunity for the kingdom. Let me tell you. I do it and you lay it out there to them because I've got the Lord in my life and I've got the peace of God in my life and the spirit of God is filling me and controlling my life. And you can have that same, you can have that in your life too. You can live in that way. See, walk in wisdom because when you walk in wisdom, it's just like he said over in first Peter, you, you better be ready to give an answer for those who ask the hope that is in you. Let me ask you this. Are people asking you about the hope that is in you? That should be your goal in life. You should live your life in such a way that people will come up and ask you, how, how are you doing this? That'd be a good homework assignment. Live this week walking in wisdom and see how it affects people around you. Deal with them in a kind way. Deal with them in grace. Don't give them what they deserve Give them something they don't deserve. Respond to them in kindness and watch what it does with them. 
A lot of times people want to fight, and when you won't fight, boy, it makes them matter. Don't jump in there and fight them. Give them some grace. You give them grace, they don't know how to deal with that. They want that pushback. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and grace in our life, all the blessings that you've given us. And our prayer is, Lord, that we would walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, that we would be wise stewards of your time that you've given us. That our conversation would be with grace, seasoned with salt. That we'll know how to answer when that time arrives. Father, let us be found faithful and obedient to your word in all that we do. And we pray and ask this of you in Christ's name, Lord.